Earbud Media. Audio for everyone. Hi, I'm Shayna. And I'm Bryce. And welcome to Charmed, a Spellcast! You know, that was the winning one. Oh, that was the messiest one. (laughs) Okay, okay, let's, okay, let's go. Let's do it. Hey, you listening there, have you heard about the witches with the really nice hair and a penchant for 90s style? and taking names when names are worthwhile and knowing how to fight like girls in this patriarchal demon infested world they're the charmed ones they're the charmed ones they're the charmed ones charmed a spellcast all right, so time for a little bit of manner keeping. Yeah, let's start it off with some good old fashioned manner keeping. Okay, beep beep beep, boop boop, bum bum, doom doop doop. Okay, then okay. Then um, here's my only piece of manner keeping. No, two pieces. Two okay. pieces. All right. First one is we're going to see Mitski tonight. <gasps> oh, ah! I'm going to walk into a room of just like a solid mass of crying millennials. That is what I envision. Heck. Yeah, so many. Okay, I'm on Tinder. Maybe I shouldn't say this. No, I'm going to say it. She's going to say it. So I'm on Tinder, and the most frequent thing I see is that people list their, like, Tinder anthem as a Mitski song. And every time that happens, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to (laughs) match right now. And if we don't, I feel a little betrayed. Yeah, I mean, fair. Like, what is their criteria? Because it's obviously not the correct criteria, and they should reevaluate their selection variables. Exactly. I agree. So, yeah, we're going to that. And it's going to be great, and mm-hmm. we're all going to cry. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a very important part of being a, a millennial, yeah. especially this like age range of millennials. Yes, yes, is to cry to Mitski. Yeah, the, I think the um, the younger millennials. Yes. Yes. Which we are. Yeah. We just outed ourselves. Uh, okay. Um, set. Yeah. Is that? Can I do? Yeah. A second? Sorry. Okay. Sorry. You had more. Okay. Second piece of manner keeping is that. Today, not the day at which you're listening to this, but today, uh, December 1st, is World AIDS Day. Yes, it is. And I think it's very important in any space, but especially any queer space, to honor those that paved the way for those among us who are out and who are happily finding our queer and trans family to give thanks and to um, acknowledge that the world has never been an extremely friendly place for those in the LGBTQ community, but these people who fought during the 80s and 90s and still today to make sure that we had policy protecting us specifically, um, they should be honored and thank you for making our world safer, although we still have a long way to go. Agreed, and I'm very glad you brought up that point. Um, so So salient to me, I feel, because this is kind of the work that I do. Um, and I just want to add to what you say in honoring those that have come before and laid the pathway to now to also mention that where we are at now is a very admirable place to be. The amount of achievements that we have made should be honored and respected. And I think that that, is, that speaks a lot to a lot of the AIDS activists and particularly LGBTQ plus activists who worked in the AIDS m- movement um, throughout these past decades. Yeah. And uh, Bryce, do you want to talk about your connection? I intern at the AIDS Institute in New York, uh, underneath the New York State Department of Health, and I do a lot of uh, work, particularly with younger people who are affected by HIV/AIDS, because I work with the Digital Initiatives um, Department, and those are people who are trying to reach the populations that might not get into care as frequently, which are usually people who are younger, the youth who might not have that kind of knowledge or support base to find the resources and testing they need. Um, Yeah. Hell yeah. Thanks, Bryce. Yeah. Thanks for doing all that you do. Oh, stop. Thanks to you. Thanks to uh, just, you know, everyone out there doing their best work that they can to help others. Hell yep. Okay, so that's all the manner keeping I have. Do you have anything? Um, I feel as if I wake up every day thinking what needs to get done. And then when I think about what needs to get done, I'm like, well, I have to get that done. Otherwise, the next day will be even more impacted in terms of things that need to be done. And it just feels like an endless spiral of negativity and Aww. distress. But, but. What's the but? 
Uh, there have been some good things, and one of those good things is that I sat down the other day, this was post-Thanksgiving, and I was like, it's time to reflect a little bit on the things that have happened this past year. And I just wrote it on my phone, just thinking about everything that I was happy and grateful for, amongst them, Shana moving to New York City. Ha <laughs> And the list was longer and more, like every single item on that list just made me smile, and it made me feel like I had hope. And it was a moment of like self-reflection that I had not done in forever. And I realized that I don't really self-reflect. And I think it was a worthy endeavor because sometimes I get too bogged down in the, uh, what's the Thoreau quote? The quiet desperation of day-to-day -day life that I never fully re recognize. Like these are things that I've done and accomplished and amazing things that I've been able to partake in and they make me happy. And you know, life is not that bad for me in the end. Uh. A uh, tip of the pod is to start your own book of shadows. <laughs> um, but instead of spells, perhaps just write down everything you're thankful for. Yeah. Do some reflecting. Yeah. That's a little bit of magic. That is a little bit of magic right there. Uh, and then one last thing that I have to say, which is a, an entirely selfish piece of manner keeping because it will be very not relevant to anyone. When I was an undergrad, I first got into the idea of sound design and radio because of a, prof of a professor that I had who was in the theater department. And it was totally, um, uh, what's the word, what's the word, what's the word? Serendipitous? Serendipitously. <laughs> and it was totally serendipitous because I just wanted to take any theater class because I really liked theater. And um, I just wanted to like experience one in the theater department, but they were all closed basically to non-majors, except for this one random sound design class. And the only people in that class are people who are in the sound design tr track for uh, the theater department. So really, it's not closed because you're not supposed to take it, but because they only expect a certain number of people to take it. And the idea is that only those people really know that this class exists. But I was looking through the registrar, and I was like, oh, this class exists, and it's not restricted technically, so I think I will take it. And I didn't think I would like it, because I was like, what is sound design? You just make a bunch of beeps and boops, and then it's, you know, whatever. There's, there's no creativity to it. And then I took it, and this professor changed my whole worldview. Um, and then I got really into audio engineering after that, and I started working for Studio 22, which is like this media-based student-employed group on campus. Um, and then I got more into podcasting, and it all kind of like spiraled out of control from there. And I did some sound design for theater after that, and I got more heavily involved in that world, which I was always, I always felt like an outsider to. Anyway, long tangent, but this professor recently sound designed a work for the New Wave Fest, which is a an avant-garde arts festival, like performance, dance, theater, whatever, that happens in New York City. And it's been running for the past couple of weeks. And his show came to Brooklyn this past Wednesday, and I went to go see it, because I needed to see it. And he was there, and I said hi, and he recognized me. And I just, I like, was shaking so much because I didn't know what to do <laughs> in, in the presence of someone who, even though I'm pretty sure he like only barely recognized my name, I, d I think he didn't know my name, but he recognized my face. And I think that even though he had no idea the kind of impact he has had on me, the fact that he was there and like talking to me and appreciating my presence was overwhelming to say the least. Ah, uh, ah, uh, I want, all of you listening to have been in the room to watch Bryce while while she was talking about this, because um, it was a great experience. Ten out of ten, would <laughs> recommend. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for letting me uh, ramble about about that for a while. Oh my God, I ramble about so many like not exciting, also not integral things that I am ecstatic when you ramble about things like that. I never quite tell because you're such a good listener that you just remain um, like a neutral presence. And I never know like, <laughs> is she bored? Do I say more things or should I stop? You make it seem like I'm sitting here like I turn around, <laughs> don't look at you and face the wall. <laughs> I think it's because I'm so used to, because when we normally have a conversation, it's not on a podcast. Mm -hmm. And so we interject and we like talk over each other and we're like like moving around each other. You know, it's like a very dynamic situation. <laughs> we're on a podcast though, we are like just staring at each other, like being like, yes, continue this point. Please, please, please <laughs> sit and listen. Exactly. Um, yes, I, uh, what is it? I empower you to make your next point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good shit. Thanks. Okay, uh, is that it? That's it? Whoop. Okay, so before we get into this episode, which is season one, episode five, 
Dream Sorcerer. Mm. Dream Sorcerer. No, no, no. Which was written by Constance M. Burge. She makes a reappearance. Heck yeah. And it was directed by Nick Mark. But M-A-R-C-K. Mark. Whoa. The wait, wait a second. The fact that Constance wrote this episode, I think, makes me view it through a different lens. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, let's get to that. Yeah. Okay, so... Before we get into it, Mm -hmm. I do want to say that this episode is very heavy on breaches of consent. Yes. And in a lot of sexual situations, Mm -hmm. although it's not sexually explicit, Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of parts that while Bryce and I were watching together, it made us extremely uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of that was just the, you know, 90s... uh, editing i think ah yes but a big part of it was that the main plot um has to do with a man breaching the consent of as many women as he possibly can Mm -hmm. so it's invasive and i just wanted to put that out there um it's not graphic Mm -mm. but proceed with caution yes um although we will be making fun of other things in the midst of it yeah okay so let's talk about our three plot lines. Right. So as always, we should go give you a general overview of what happens in this episode by telling you wh- uh, the arcs that the three sisters went through. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start with Phoebe. Okay. So Phoebe uh, has had this similar plot line before in episodes in which she uses her powers to get a date, <laughs> essentially. She ropes Piper into casting a love spell that will attract many a man or in their in their minds it's just going to be one perfect man yes to them you know what i think we should revise the our structure for this one episode because piper and phoebe's stories are so like they were kind of like a a duo Mm -hmm. in, in in their arc in this episode i think it should be their trajectory Andy and Daryl's trajectory <gasps> and Prue's trajectory. Yes! Okay. Okay. So we'll say that that first line was Piper and Phoebe mm-hmm. in which they cast a love spell. They have the kind of wacky results of that love spell and they question what real love is. Yeah. It was kind of the most sitcom I'd ever seen this TV show be. Very sitcom-y. So in between talking about this really awful plot that we... Uh, we're uncomfortable about. We can also talk about teeny bopper plot lines. Love it though. Love it, I love, love a good teen rom com. I'm gonna just say that right now, right here, mm-hmm. uh, for all of you to witness or listen to. <laughs> um, okay, second plot line. Should we do Daryl and Andy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Daryl. I love Daryl. Daryl has made a reappearance. If you don't remember, Daryl is Andy's partner at the San Francisco police station. PD, the precinct. PD, the precinct. Yep. Mm-hmm. The inspectors. So this is their X-Files dream team moment. Oh, my gosh. We get so many scenes with them this yeah. episode. So Daryl and Andy are investigating the what they suspect is a serial murderer mm-hmm. who breaks the bones and bodies of women without actually laying a hand on them. <sighs> this was an episode where I was like, you can actually break this apart into like a different type of television show entirely based mm-hmm. if you just view only their storyline yeah x-files it was yeah i enjoyed it a lot that was total like, it was very um pres- like crime procedural but with that injection of supernaturalism uh so then we end with our final story arc which is with prue yes and this is a very difficult one to watch and it is a rebuffed man uh deems Prue as his next target mm-hmm. and it's very very Freddy Krueger-esque in mm-hmm. which he can attack her and her invade her dreams when she falls asleep. So yeah. Prue has to fight against him. Yeah. Terrifying. It's awful. Okay. So let's go. Okay. So um I think we start off this episode by just establishing that... Uh, men are bad. Men are <laughs> bad. Okay, they're at the restaurant. Two guys try pickup lines on Phoebe. Oh. They're very bad pickup lines. They don't work. Um, and 
They Piper right. and Phoebe both commiserate over being single. Right, and then Prue is offered a drink by the waitress because someone had paid for, or or yeah, like what's the word? Sent over a drink? Yeah, somebody, some mysterious guy buys Prue a drink, and Prue says, "No, thank you. Please let him know I am in a relationship, so I can't accept this drink." Um, and she says it to our best friend, Sky, the waitress. Ah, yes. And <laughs> another example of introducing a character as a very close character only to kill them off. Ah. Um, so Sky brings the drink back over to the dude and says, sorry, she couldn't accept it. And the guy is like, oh, yeah, sure, of course she's in a relationship. That's just an excuse. Um, which already don't like him. Yeah. And... Sky says, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. And then he rolls out of the seat yeah. kind of to expose that he is in a wheelchair, uh, in a motorized wheelchair, and asks Sky, well, do you think you could have, a, would you want to have a drink with me? Mm-hmm. Um, she says no. Uh, she's obviously made uncomfortable by him, mm-hmm. which he takes as she's discriminating against him and doesn't want to be with him because Mm -hmm. he is disabled um when in reality i would say it's made pretty clear that he's just a creepy guy yeah um so she says no yeah i think uh what this scene really sets up for us is that there is a villain at play or we kind of get the idea from the get-go that this guy is perhaps dangerous and we need to start watching him for the rest of the episode and he might have a bit of a fragile masculinity thing going on as well as an inferiority complex which are never two good things (laughs) and i think that he's a very angry person like he's looking for someone to lash out at and he Mm -hmm. wants to bend people to his control perhaps because he feels like he has not that much yes but we don't learn that until the next scene Mm mm-hmm in which Skye goes to sleep in her apartment um, and then suddenly is whisked off to this kind of dreamscape atop a roof in which the guy that she rejected is now controlling the dream. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of double exposure here, some pink-purple color palette, very much feels like the set of like the Titanic music video. Oh, I would say that's a good like yeah. Um, so we've got a we've got a visual reference here, and he says he literally says you rejected me, so now you have to pay, which is oh oh no ah oh no no there no. in my mind, and I think we can talk about this later maybe when we get to Prue's involvement um I thought it was very clear from the get-go that this is villainous this is evil 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 he is not correct yeah in his actions yeah and um I think that it's hard to these are common scenes that I think people are familiar with, but it's hard to recognize in a real world setting when you know the person, you're like, oh, they're extenuating circumstances. But it's played in this television show and it's written in a way where you know from the get-go, this is not a good situation. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. So right before the credit scene, um, he pushes her off the top of a building. And this is ripped directly from Vertigo. Ah. from uh, Alfred Hitchcock. There were a couple of, I mean, the whole Freddy Krueger thing is, yeah. was another, like, uh, homage. They were, j- yeah, interesting, Constance. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Constance. Well, also the director, too, True. The, the visual. But, um, yeah, this this episode is full of visual and thematic matches mm-hmm. to uh, popular horror movies. Yeah. I wonder if it's... Um, an attempt to be more grounded or because there are so many different competing genres it felt like in this episode like Mm -hmm. there was the buddy cop thing going on and they're like trying to solve an unsolvable case and then there was the teen rom-com thing going on with Piper and Prue and now there's like another horror film um, way of interpreting it. What I think as we get into the scene right after the credits is that it's also different approaches, like metaphorical different approaches to love. Great 
idea that I hadn't considered. Let's go straight to that conversation. Okay, let's go into it. So right after Sky gets pushed off the building and we get the credits, she's murdered. I am she's the sun murdered, dirtled. and the air. Okay. Do you know why I say murdered, dirtled? My favorite murder? Is that it? It's because in um, Adventure Time, they weren't allowed to say murder on air, so they say Myrtle Dirtle. Oh my god, I had no idea. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Myrtle Dirtle. Mm-hmm. I just assumed it was a reference to another thing I wasn't familiar with, but I appreciate that. Okay, she gets Myrtle Dirtled. So we're into scene three, which is Daryl and Andy. Daryl and Andy. Uh, oh, hi, Daryl. Should we just say that they're investigating the crime scene, which is Skye's dead body in her bed, and that's that's when we learned that all of her bones were crushed, but yeah. she had not left the building. Exactly. She has not been moved from so the bed. So how could it have happened? She died from the inside out. She imploded, which is what? awful. Disgusting. Okay. And we know how it happened, but they don't. Mysteries. Moving yeah. on. Um, so Piper is trying to exercise, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Piper doesn't like working out. No. Me neither. I can connect to her on that in a spiritual level. But I did two times this week. Wow. I can't believe you're it. You're so amazing. Thank you. I have a my new New Year's resolution yeah. is to get hella ripped. Damn. We're going to see yeah. some buff Shayna. Yeah, we are. Which we'll, we'll see about that. But um, yes. Okay. Okay. The, so. Yes. So after Daryl and Andy's scene, we go to um, the sisters and Piper's trying to exercise. And really, the exercise part is an extraneous component. I think what is really important is that they all talk about love. I think, yeah. And we have the three different approaches of Phoebe kind of being in her 20s, footloose, fancy free. Mm -hmm. We have Prue, who is more pragmatic about letting herself fall completely in love because she knows she has a secret that could hold her back and interfere. And then Piper, who has been very unlucky in love. Yes. Oh, John Cho, come back. Come back. (laughs) Um, But she wants romance. She wants someone to sweep her off her feet. And she loves love. She loves love. She loves love. She's like Terry Crews in Brooklyn (laughs) (laughs) Nine-Nine. The softest teddy bear. (laughs) I would say Piper is definitely a softie, in these earlier seasons especially. so we've got these three approaches, and I think actually that the exercise part is important. Oh, because okay. she talks about this idea of realness and fakeness, and she knows that that's uh, not a body type that she can achieve, but it's still promoted as an ideal. So Piper really has an eye uh-huh. and a recognition for this idea of realness. Yes, and that does resonate later on in this episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's too early to say this, but it's on my mind right now. And if I don't say it, I will immediately forget about say it. Say it. Um, oh no, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a good point that you made that I have not noticed noticed before, but I think it ties in directly to what I've been thinking about, about her whole star- story arc with her and Phoebe, where they are kind of in this um, rom-com throughout this episode. And I think what rom-coms, when people think about them in popular culture, they're like, oh, those are unrealistic expectations of love and everyone in it is beautiful and there's like really no actual resemblance to reality in those in those movies. But the fact that that is the prevailing theme in those kinds of movies and the fact that she, as a person or a character, um, is really attuned to the idea of fake versus real. I, th- that really, I feel like those ideas bounce off each other a lot in this episode. Definitely. Like, she gets to be put in a situation that she knows is the ideal, and she finds yeah. out she doesn't like it. Very cool. Okay. Very cool. So then back to the X-Files. Yes, the precinct. The precinct. Murder. Myrtle Dirtle. Myrtle Dirtle. Um, so essentially all that happens right here yeah. is that Andy thinks there's more at work yes. than what they saw, that it's a serial murderer, and um, they're going to put it together. And uh, my favorite thing th- about this scene is Daryl does the very kind of scully, yeah. like, oh, man, I hate it when we say that. <laughs> yeah, because uh, Andy's like, I think Sky died by murder. Yeah. And Daryl's like, I hate it when we say that. I love Daryl. Okay, uh, so they're yeah. off to the races. They're off to the races. We got our three storylines in. Oh no, yeah, we got three storylines in place. Mm-hmm. We got our villain for Prue. We got our uh, Piper and Phoebe looking for love, and we got Daryl and Andy trying to figure out who did the murdering. Okay, so next scene at Quake, Piper is catering to men <laughs> again, <laughs> both physically <laughs> and uh, metaphorically, uh-huh. and um, she is serving as a waitress now at Quake since Sky is out. And so then Phoebe comes in and is like, 
I found a spell to attract a lover. Yes, they talk about the oft-spoken love spell in many, uh, I think, magical stories. Yeah, and uh, they have the same argument. We're not supposed to use our powers for personal yes. gain. And Phoebe's like, but it should. it's in the book for a reason. <laughs> so if it's there, we should use it. And Duh. Piper introduces a new argument saying that even if we use this spell and it wasn't for personal gain, isn't using a spell for love desperate? And Phoebe comebacks with the statement, how is looking for what you want desperate? Mm-hmm. Big mood. Big mood. Uh, so they do it. They try to cast a spell. Yeah, that's the next scene. So they're in the manor, and Phoebe is looking for ingredients, but Prue comes home, <laughs> and uh, Phoebe stalls for a little bit, and then Piper comes into the kitchen and like, it says we need this. And Prue's <laughs> like, busted. I got you. You're trying to spell. You're trying to spell, ain't you? Um, it's very much a little teen, yeah. teen movie. So they tell Prue about the spell that they're casting, and that they're hoping that she'll join them. And she mm-hmm. says, no way. And they say, but it's reversible. And she says, uh, no way. <laughs> and so they say, okay, well, suit yourself. We're going to go up and have our little sleepover moment. And this is one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. Do you want to talk about it? Sure. So they go up to the attic and they need to, they're just talking about how to complete the spell. And in order to do it, you need to like write down a bunch of stuff that you want in your ideal partner. Yes. <laughs> so they're all just chatting, and I, I don't know who it was. Was it Piper or was it Phoebe? But someone was like, he's got to be like this and that and that, and he recycles. That's Phoebe. That Phoebe, Phoebe wants a man who recycles. Like, uh, relatable, for real. San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're having that moment. I don't know if I need to talk about any. Oh, actually, I, I had a fun exercise that I want to do. Okay. Um, I was going to talk about um, one of our favorite rom-coms that we liked growing up. Oh, that's very cute. That's a good idea. Oh, my God. I got to think about it. Is Mary Poppins a cop-out? No, I love it. Tell me more. Okay, Mary Poppins is not really a rom-com, but there is a romance mm-hmm. uh, between Mary Poppins and Bert. And I really like it because it's a kind of exasperated uh old love in which they're very established within each other's lives Mm -hmm. um, but they kind of know it can never be and I love a woman who knows what she wants you actually said um, we we, that whole meme that came out like a couple months ago about identify yourself in three fictional characters and you said Mary Poppins was going to be one of you. I did. I said Mary Poppins again. I've only seen one movie in my entire (laughs) life. Wait, can you just tell the audience why you think Mary Poppins is a component of your personality? Oh my goodness. What did I say? She's judgmental. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really judgmental. Like very, very. I don't tell people I am and I don't think I show it, but I am. I'm sorry. (laughs) I <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. This has gone on for far too long. I'm sorry. All right. Um. I, I didn't think about my answer to this question at all. I am going to be a bad respondent to my own interviewing persona and answer the question in a way that wasn't intended. Because um, I, I can't remember from my childhood like what rom-coms I really enjoyed. I'm going to talk to you about a teen rom-com that I've watched in my past life year. <laughs> Is it to all the boys I've loved yes, before? to all the boys I've loved before. <laughs> I was a... I knew I knew it was all set up for this. I knew it was all I'm set up for Bryce to plug Lana Condor. I love Lana Condor. She, I wish I could be her. I think you are. Stop. Don't say it. That's, no. What? Qua? 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 Um, to, all, <laughs> to All the Boys I've Loved Before is a Netflix movie uh, that came out this past summer, and it stars Lana Condor and Noah Centineo, and it's based on a book by Jenny Han. Jenny Han. Um, and I, I think that the reason why I love this movie and why it gained so much popularity so fast, yes, because of the people who were in it, they were like just fun to watch. Lana Condor is the cutest person in the entire world, and Noah Centineo is like America's heartthrob. I think that was obviously one reason why people loved it, but also because the plot, the the setting, like the way that they use color, the way that they used camera movements, the way they talk to each other, 
unpretentious was one word that you said about it, and I think that that is true. And it was it was almost like this movie just wanted to, yeah, it was not cynical in the least, which is people don't think that rom-coms are cynical, but I think there's often a component to them where it feels like there's these weird um, artificial like conflicts that go on and you have to like create all these characters that you don't see in real life. Like I just, I could watch it over and over again and just feel happy and feel like safe. I don't know, just fall into it. Um, and then the other reason why I love this is because I could watch Lana Condor forever. And this is the first movie I'd ever seen her do because she's still an up and coming star. And just watching her fall in love was something that, that good news for you. They're making a second one. Heck yeah, they are. I borrowed the book <laughs> that it's based on. It's a series. P.S. I love you is the next in the series. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. I know about that one. Oh, you do? Yeah. Damn. Have I read that one? No. Okay. Never mind. Um, cool. I would say to close out our little uh, happy-go-lucky romance, teen teen romance, mm-hmm. even though mine was not a teen romance and yours was from now, <laughs> um, I would say that if you love the Piper and Phoebe storyline, the thing you should watch right now would be Ariana Grande's music video <gasps> for Thank You Next. I haven't seen it yet, but I know it's like just a bunch of references to very popular teen romance movies. Yes, some really great rom-coms in there. Legally Blonde, 13 Going on 30. Oh shit, that's good Bring stuff. it on. 13 Going on 30 was good. Yeah, it's real good. Oh, so, Mean Girls. Mean Girls, so um, would recommend. Uh, so they're up in there, they're writing out the ingredients that they would want for the man of their dreams. Yep. Ironic for the other plot line. Oh, oh, oh. Um, that's so funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. Different approaches to love. Different facets I of it. I see what you're saying now. Like, it's tying yeah. together for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so they mm. throw them in there, and they say the most freaking redundant spell. Again, these spells, I still think they're garbage. <laughs> um, as an uncertified uh, person who loves witches and pop culture more than she knows about actual Wicca or paganism, I say these spells are garbage. 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 All right, so while that's happening, though, the phone rings downstairs. Mm-hmm. And uh, Prue answers it, I think. Yes, she does. Yeah, and Prue answers it, and it's the guy who sent her the drink. I yeah. don't suppose you would reconsider and uh, meet me sometime. Yeah. Uh, meet me upstairs sometime. Oh, my God. You please know. date me. Please date me. Like, come on. Get a life. Yeah. Come on, creep. Get a hint. She already said no. She doesn't know you at all. And so she says again, no, how'd you get this number? And... Uh, well, he hangs up. So then she goes up to take a bath mm-hmm. with many, many candles. Mm-hmm. And she falls asleep in the bath, as you would, because it's nice and relaxing and there are a lot of candles. Mm-hmm. Thought for a moment the house would burn down, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, the candles were just there for aesthetics. If this was any other movie, that would be the first thing we would think of. But no, this one has to be invasion of your dreams. Yeah. And so... This is the freaking worst. This is actually, I would say this is the worst one. Because of her situation, like the way mm-hmm. she is in this. So she gets suckered into this guy coming into her dreams and controlling yeah. the dreams yeah. and knowing her unconscious, he says, even yeah. though I think it should be subconscious. Yeah, you're, I think you're correct. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I think what he means to say, though, is that while she's unconscious, yes. he can come into her subconscious, That's which is what her I dream. think would be more accurate in this completely yeah. real uh, dream-jumping yeah. technique yes. that we've seen. The logistics. we got to be accurate about yeah. it. Yeah, uh, as the Nolans have let us know. Oh. Completely real. <laughs> completely um, practical. But this is definitely the worst situation because she's at her most vulnerable, and I think that's yeah. what scares us the most. Mm-hmm. She's in a bathtub. She's this naked. This is a private place. She's this relaxing. Is, uh, and it's very forced intimacy, mm-hmm. and it's really awful. And I would say uh, feel free to skip this scene, yeah. essentially. Um, you just know he invades her dreams. And he, like, scratches her back with right. the loofah right. and, like, actually really tears the skin, which is, this is the so awful. Yeah. Um, and tries to drown her and says i'm the man of your dreams and tries to drown Drown her her. but she's saved because piper knocks Mm -hmm. and she uh prue was quickly awoken um and i guess the spell was broken the spell in quotes yeah and so then prue is explaining to piper 
mm-hmm. what happened with the marks and with mm-hmm. this guy in her dreams. And Piper doesn't believe her, which I think has to happen for the sake of whatever plot they're doing that like they have to have a, a an aha moment in which uh, it finally makes sense. Uh-huh. But I think this is out of character for Piper, uh-huh. especially because they're witches. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she she just chalks it up to Prue being stressed, mm-hmm. essentially. The character that usually um, has to rebut these like worries has to be Piper in the situation because she's the only one around. <laughs> I think it would be Andy. Really? Yeah. But he's got to do his whole mm-hmm. solving the crime. Mm-hmm. I think this would have been perhaps more on the nose mm-hmm. if it was a man not believing her. I see. Um, yeah. To have Piper not believe her serves a purpose. Right. But I don't think it's, for me as a viewer, I don't think that is a believable obstacle. Right. Um, but it does bring up the fact of like people who have been violated making their um, complaint. Yeah making their accusation and not being believed. Yeah, so this speaks more beyond the whole genre of scary films. It speaks more to this real world situation. Yeah, to this this hit you over the head with a hammer metaphor that Constance is again crafting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so um, Phoebe talks about how she has met somebody. Hans. 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 Um, so it looks, it looks like, like Thor, the spell is working. Um, he recycles. He so recycles. A positive. <laughs> oh, it's good. And I think that that was all that we really need to talk about. Yep. And then the next scene, they're doing a lot of police work. They do it some more. Good they job. look at them case files. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. And then back at Quake, uh, Phoebe and Prue are talking. Um, I think they're just like chatting about Hans or whatever, and then men keep asking Piper out. That's what I wrote down. I think Here, we you, skipped. Oh, what did we skip? I didn't write it down. No, maybe. Okay, let's. Let me just. Piper. Start so over. Piper gets asked out. So Piper gets asked out. And um, yeah, Piper gets asked out, and she says yes. Uh huh. But she's already questioning, does she want this fake romance? Yes. Okay, so we can see the spell is working for both of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Phoebe's very into it. Piper is a little bit more reserved. Yes. Next scene, they're at the auction house. Yes. And what's established is that Prue has a lot of work to do and will be there all night. Yeah, it's going to be an all-nighter. It's going to be a long one. So we don't like that. Yep. Um, Then we revisit our romance storyline again. Piper's talking to Phoebe about Jack, uh, the guy who asked her out. And I don't know what they talked about because I didn't write that down in my notes at Me all. Me neither. It might not have been that important. Uh, okay, switching gears again, back to the X-Files. Looks like they have tracked down a dream lab. <laughs> this was my first realization that I was like, no, actually, I think it was earlier on that I told you, like, I don't think this is magic. And then this is, like, our final, like, um, validation of that idea. And it's also the, t- the first moment where I was like, oh, yeah, this is definitely, like, some kind of cop TV show, like, X-Files-esque. 100% X-Files. They go into the privately funded research facility, which they show a picture of, the front, which is just this, like, nondescript, futuristic-looking (laughs) science-y building in which corporations keep secrets. Corporations. You can't trust them. Well, you can't. They'll leap into your dreams. Mm-hmm. I had a dream that I was on Instagram once. Oh, just like scrolling my through Instagram. Um, I hated it. Quick aside, but Nerdwriter recently did a video where he's talking about how a lot of the m- movies and television that we watch nowadays are very hesitant to include um, tele- like phones, uh, telephones, and usually smartphones because the od- audiences as a whole are so averse to the idea of um, this element of their lives in their entertainment because phones are generally like a place where we suck time and we like do a bunch of things that we just do when we're not living the rest of our life. And um, he, he, so he made that point about how he looked through all the popular films of the past year and he's like, yeah, they only use phones like once or twice and it's usually for They're phone They're very popular in television, so I will fight Nerdwriter. But what are they doing on those phones? They're texting. But they're not like scrolling through Instagram. They're not checking oh. the news. They're not playing apps. There's a whole show based around that now. Yeah. 
it's called you, it looks awful. Yeah, which is not to negate the fact that I yeah. think that there are pieces of content that are like highlighting this, especially Bo Burnham's eighth grade, which is all about mm -hmm. this young child who was consumed by social media and it was too real. Like I watched and I was yeah. like, no, 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 no. But no, typically no. we don't want to be reminded of yeah. it. Yeah, because we have this idea that entertainment is an escape and we're going to yeah. do things that we don't normally do in real life. Hi. Interesting. I'll have to watch the video and then fight them. Yeah, I mean, I, I would pay for you to fight a lot of people. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's awesome. I bet money on you at every single really entertaining every single match. Okay, so um, they're at the privately funded research facility. Yes, it's X Files. It's X Files, and they meet Whitaker. I think his name. Yes, is, Whitaker who Brennan, is the dream sorcerer. Um, investigation, interrogation, <laughs> and so they find out he is. Uh, paralyzed, mm -hmm. I think paraplegic, they said? Yeah, he got in a car accident. I, I might have tuned out for a bit of this, but he got yeah. in a car accident and his ex his girlfriend was killed and he survived, but now he can't walk. Yes. Oh, no. I, no. His they both survived. Oh, I thought she died. Oh, but she broke up with him? Yeah, and he killed her. Right, right. And I think that we might have um, left out an important detail, but it's it's important to note that he cannot walk because in the dreams that he invades, he is walking. Mm -hmm. And I think he uses those that power as an outlet to demonstrate again like how he feels like he has none in real life. Yeah, exactly. So he's essentially, what's happened with this dude is that he thinks all women are against him because he is a paraplegic. Uh -huh. Or I think it's paraplegic yeah. um, because he's disabled and he thinks that's the only reason they're against him and therefore all of them must be punished. Which is definitely an interesting theme that I do not know should have been like written in in a current context. Mm. I feel like there are some stigmatizing components to it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's painting a person with a disability as bitter, as um, unable to cope. Mm -hmm. And it's almost creating a um, an association with being disabled and being like incontinent. Yes, absolutely. I could see that. Um, that's a really good point. So it's trying, huh, white feminism, it's trying to fight one social ill while invoking the stereotype of another. Good, very like succinct to the point. Um, analysis of that. Thank you. We'll All try. right. Okay. So, essentially, that is Andy, not our brand, by the way. We are not succinct ana analyzers. No, we're not. But occasionally, we have a sentence or two that is. Mm -hmm. So Andy thinks there's something up with this dude who's jumping into people's dreams from private mm -hmm. funding. Okay. So then we go to Piper on her date. Yep. And Piper is trying to do everything she possibly yep. can to turn her date yeah. off. Um, it's raining men for Piper at this point. Yeah, it's raining men, and she is staying inside. <laughs> um, so essentially, she's trying to tell him everything mm -hmm. uh, unattractive about herself. And it, this reminded me of the end of Some Like It Hot. Oh, yeah? Have you seen that? I don't think so. Okay, so this is the Marilyn Monroe film, Some Like It Hot, in which a lot of drag <laughs> is involved in cross-dressing. And at the very end, there's a very famous line in which um, one of the men who is still dressed as a, as a drag queen, as a woman, um, confesses to a guy, hey, you can't marry me. Uh, I do this thing and is trying to turn the guy off and then takes off his wig. You can't marry me. And the guy looks at him and he goes, nobody's perfect. <laughs> 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 that's so fun. So that's what this scene reminded me of. Um, um, cool. So too many men. Piper doesn't like it. Too many men. So uh, next one, next gobbledygook. One. Whitaker is getting his dream shots. <laughs> <laughs> he's in the dream lab, and he's like, strap me in, folks. Set all phasers to stun. <laughs> Tie me, why me, wibbly wobbly, yeah. gobbledygook. He it just says makes a bunch of no words. sense. The but general, he's going under. Yeah. The general gist is that he is um, at his lab, and he wants to 
get into people's dreams again. And I guess this is where we first learn like how that's actually done in practice. Basically, they have to give yeah. him shots and then he's able to like jump into people's dreams. They sedate him. Yeah, oh, you know what? That is probably a better uh, description of what happened. That's basically it. We don't actually know what happens, but they sedate him. Okay, <laughs> the doctor, that's twice the dose of <laughs> Impossible! Impossible! That's not medically ethical. I don't care, push the CCs. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Prue's asleep at her desk at Buckland because she has to be there all night. Mm -hmm. And she gets sucked back into the dreamscape. Yeah. And he's trying to, like, psychoanalyze her and insult her and be like, this is why you don't like this. He's mansplaining. He's mansplaining her psyche to her. It doesn't make any sense. Excuse me, mister. Yeah, it's awful. Um... But she's fighting back. Yeah, she has so much agency in this. Mm -hmm. It's wild. Yeah, so he didn't expect that. He Mm -hmm. was like, I have the power. And she's like, "Mm, you little bitch. Bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Little bitch boy. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, uh... So then Andy wakes her up. Oh, yeah. He calls her. He calls her. And she's so relieved. Thanks, Andy. He's like, oh, she likes me. But she's like, oh, thank God I didn't die. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so... Then they're at the precinct, and they found out about dream leaping. Dream leaping. Timey-wimey. Okay, so then... Uh, uh, oh, this is Phoebe, Phoebe and Piper. Comes home? Yeah. I think. So this is one of the last conversations that we have in this story arc where they discuss their final thoughts on the use of spells for love. Yeah. I don't really remember what happens. All I do remember is I'm home and there are too many flowers. Yeah. I think I will just tell you briefly, Phoebe says, or Piper says, it wasn't real. Phoebe disagrees. And then Piper says, love cannot be conjured. It's so the ones that they, what they have experienced was not real and they need to reverse the spell. Yeah. And I think I wrote down for some reason. Oh, this is why. So this is why at the very beginning when Piper was watching the aerobics video, the exercise mm-hmm. video, and they were talking about she only got to look that way because of plastic surgery. Oh. So they're equating physical traits, like yeah. natural physical traits yeah. with real beauty and natural romance, yeah. not conjured romance with real love. Yes. I think there's a fallacy in here in uh-huh. equating the two because I think, well, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, of course. Yeah. But I think that any way that someone wants to make themselves feel more beautiful Mm -hmm. is a way to do it. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things that are pushing us to consume things to make ourselves feel better about Mm -hmm. how ugly we feel. Mm -hmm. But I also think that this can be viewed in many different ways and people aren't all affected Mm -hmm. in the same way that Mm -hmm. we think they are. Like, oh, you're just falling victim to the image that a woman to be beautiful has to have a certain figure. Mm-hmm. You're not actually thinking for yourself. And that's a judgment as well. Yeah. So essentially, that's what I think. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And I don't really agree with the correlation of like plastic surgery equals mm-hmm. fake and a bad person because they tried to alter their natural state. Yeah. Um, I think about Dolly Parton when I think (laughs) Uh about that. So um, the reason I talk about this and one of the people who really made me think about this was Dolly Parton because she said when she was growing up, she thought the most beautiful person in the world was the town hooker. Oh. And she thought, I love this person. I love the way this person acts. I love the way that she has her way, her agency. She doesn't use that language exactly, but essentially she's in charge of herself. And I thought, I want to look like that woman. Mm Mm-hmm. So in that, Dolly Parton found this piece of power Mm -hmm. in imagery, and I still think Dolly Parton is like one of the coolest people in the world, Mm -hmm. but she found this power in making herself. Yeah. So that's why I talk about this. You need to trust someone to let them make themselves. So, yeah, I love that's that. It. That's it. Quick aside, but there is a movie coming out based on another YA romance book called Dumpling, and it's going to be on Netflix soon. And um, it's about a plus-size girl, and she enters a beauty contest in the South. And um, she has a lot of things going against her, a lot of people telling her she can't do this, you can't do that. 
um, and her role model is Dolly Parton, and she goes to a, um, I might be remembering this wrong, but in the book, she goes to a local drag show where everyone is dressed as Dolly Parton, or like some of the people are dressed as Dolly Parton, and that's where she gets a lot of inspiration for finding confidence and hope in herself. Hell yes, I can't wait to watch this. Yes. I hope it's good. I really hope it's good. The book was good, so even if the movie sucks, I recommend the book. book. Okay. Okay. So, and then, essentially, blah, 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 they, Piper is resigned to thinking this is not the way she wants to find love, and then Prue calls, um, and Prue is going to come home, and she talks about the situation in which I think they believe her now, and she's like, okay, this guy, it happened again, and I'm coming home, and I need to stay awake, and they're like, we'll come get you. She's like, no, there's no time, so you know something bad's going to happen. Okay. Um, and she says, look in the Book of Shadows. So Prue says, please look in the Book of Shadows to figure out how to vanquish this demon. Um, yes, 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 yes. So they look in the Book of Shadows and they don't find anything. And maybe it's because he's not a demon, he's a mortal. He's a mortal. So as soon as they call Prue back, um, and she's almost falling asleep at the wheel, and she's like, you have to keep talking to me, please keep me awake. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to tell her that it's not a demon necessarily, it's not in the Book of Shadows. Um, Hans comes crashing through. Yeah, a lot of conflicts are coming to it, their head right now. Yeah, so they drop the phone, um, and Prue is all alone, yeah. and she falls asleep again, and the guy keeps coming into her dreams, and she falls asleep at the wheel, and she crashes into a pole. Yeah. Scary. Scary. So now she has to battle not just her exhaustion, but the fact that she has been injured, and her body is probably going to shut down soon. Which it does. So uh, they get to... So Prue gets picked up by an ambulance, and they get to the hospital, and a bunch more gobbledygook. Mm. Grey's Anatomy, this isn't. <laughs> Twice he sees of a... Morphine from the heart detector. Give me the crash cart. Get me the... Put me on the red button. Get thee to a nunnery. <laughs> I think is how it ends. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so yeah, so this hospital scene uh, in which they're trying to keep Prue alive is intercut with Daryl and Andy trying to wake up Whitaker yeah. before he go-goes. Yeah, because he's under right now, and he's still attacking Prue in her sleep. So she's battling him, in her, she's battling him while she's in the hospital, unconscious. And Daryl and Andy are trying to like get his lab to like make him wake up. And they're like, "We can't. He's heavily sedated." And they're like, "Wake him up!" <laughs> bang, bang, bang on the glass door. Hey, creep! Hey, buddy, wake up! And then Phoebe and Piper are in their uh, manner, attempting to stave off this angry Hans. And I guess they do. Because they get to the hospital? Yes. I don't remember how they do, though. Did they break the spell? I think they break the spell. I think they broke the spell, and he was like, what am I doing here? Why did I do all this? This was not the most memorable part of the episode. No. But they get rid of him, and they rush to the hospital. They try to find Prue, and they're like, she's in a restricted area. Okay, thank you. We'll just wait in the lobby. Psych! (laughs) And they run into the restricted area. And they find proof. But you could get killed or worse, expelled. <laughs> Come on, Hermione. I'm sorry. Okay, um, so they run into the ex- restricted area, and this is, they don't help, this is the first time they don't use, well, I mean, Prue uses magic, but Piper and Phoebe don't use magic to save each other. No, they use the power of love. Yeah. They're like, you can do it. Like, we know you can hear us in there. Yeah. So Pr- uh, Prue is under, mm-hmm. she's unconscious. And so they're just hanging out with her at her solitary gurney in which no other doctors or nurses are around. And it's this weird (laughs) uh, spotlight lighting on her. Anyway, it's very strange. Um, But they're encouraging her, come on, you can fight him off. You can fight him off. And she's in the dreamscape and she can hear their voices. She's like, uh, Fiber? (laughs) She's like, Piper? Phoebe? And he's like, no, you're going to die. And he's like picking her up and carrying her to go throw her off. And she keeps hearing her sister's voices. Prue, use your powers. Use your powers. And he goes, okay, should I say goodnight? He's about to throw her off the building. Mm -hmm. And she says, no, let me. (gasps) Good night. And she throws him off the building using her powers. Her mind powers. Her mind powers. 
And he goes, wah! Same vertigo shot. Oh, and then there's, I, fuck, I was going to look up the visual match for this because I remember seeing mm-hmm. this. It's kind of like a total recall moment okay. uh, in which Whitaker is in oh. his, like, mm-hmm. uh, in his lab. lab bed, and they do this weird sp- sped up fan machine effect on his face in which it's like he's falling from a very high building and the the wind is pushing his face um but he's still in his bed and then he's dead yeah he implodes and his i don't know vital signs go flat yeah and you're like what he did he did you know he did so (laughs) that's the exact thing i thought the inflection whoop he did (laughs) um that is a vine if you have not watched it (laughs) if you haven't consumed such tasteful imagery (laughs) we are connoisseurs of vine Mm, i love a good fine vine (laughs) (laughs) shut the fuck up okay um anyway last scene so now we're oh my god we're at the last scene yeah we did it we can still do it let's do it let's get it let's go yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. okay so we're at the last scene and uh prue is in the hospital still Mm -hmm. and uh piper and phoebe bring her giggling they bring her all the flowers from their lovers oh. <laughs> and they decorate her room with it oh. and it's so this is still teen romance yeah it like uh you know the term chick yeah. flick essentially i think that's why i love to all the boys i loved before because it made me feel warm and un, unas- unpretentious and i don't know all these things yeah yeah it ends on a really good note so they push in all these flowers and um Andy also comes through with cheeseburgers and fries. Ooh. Contraband at a hospital, Come I'll on. have you know. Get out Come of on. here. And um, he comes through and he's like, here, I brought your favorite. And she's surrounded by flowers and her guy and her sisters. And her sisters run off gigglingly. And um, Andy's in a turtleneck. And that's the last note I have. And that's the show. <laughs> Andy's in a turtleneck. Uh, may I say one more thing before we close out? Please, please. I have another thing to say. Oh, yes, so of course. Please. So then you will close out probably because you always have a very nice way to end this. Not true. No, it's very true. Um, so this episode resonates a lot with topics that have been occurring in um, the news and in society recently. And it really parallels the Me Too movement. Um, partially because of this whole idea of men abusing their positions of power and taking what they want without consent. Um, and Melissa Milano has had a very important... Alyssa. Alyssa, what did I say? Melissa Milano. Did I say that? Yeah. Bug. <laughs> okay. And Alyssa Milano has had a very, very important role in the rise of this movement um, because she was the person who tweeted out, hey, send me a Me Too. And she wasn't the one who started it. It was Tarana Burke. But she's the one who popularized it on Twitter. And if you want to listen to her talk about it and reflect on what this past year has been like for her, I recommend going to check out Untit- or Unsettled, mapping the hashtag MeToo on Iowa Public Radio's podcast. That's awesome. Um, we had a really interesting conversation about this right after we watched this in which we were talking about how it holds water then versus now mm. and whether this kind of an episode would have been written in the same way today. Yeah. Um, I... My immediate reaction to that was that when I first watched this episode, I was much younger, but I still had this feeling of resonance. And I thought, wait a minute, I do know people in my life who have done things like this. I didn't know to what extent, and I don't think I really had the knowledge to, or the vocabulary to talk about it in a sense of women owing men things, but I knew men who asked for things that they weren't necessarily entitled to, but still, asked or didn't even ask but took with that sense of entitlement so my immediate reaction was that this episode would happen today and should happen today however it probably would have been handled with a lighter touch Mm. more deft kind of nuanced Mm -hmm. look rather than these scenes of literal violation yeah and metaphorical violation yeah i agree um and then I also have a podcast recommendation. <laughs> so I was listening uh, to Radio Lab mm-hmm. as I am prone to do, mm-hmm. and they have this incredible series called In the Know, mm-hmm. No spelled N-O, and it's a three-part 
series, and it's looking at a work that radio maker Caitlin Prest did exploring consent outside in. And this is one of the most complex writings and performance pieces and research about the concept of consent and why it is that women especially have a history of not feeling like they can say no. Um, Prue felt like she could say no, and she did. And I find that incredible. Incredible. Um, Prue is saying no the entire time. Mm -hmm. Prue makes it known what her wants are. Mm -hmm. When somebody trespasses Mm -hmm. on her, she's able to off him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's empowering. If... Mm. A touch heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I would definitely, if you're interested in listening to a really well-crafted and well-curated conversation about this that raises a lot of questions, answers a lot of questions, and talks about consent in a way that I've never heard, I would suggest In the Know. Perfect. I'll check it out. All right. So, do we have a... Any final... Th- Final thought? My final thought is believe people, believe your instincts, don't listen to people who feel entitled to your body, and also Andy's really cute in a turtleneck. we haven't done Jeremy's in a while. Do you want to do that? Well, we, should, we, we should finish out on that. Okay. So I would say, actually, do you have an idea of Jeremy's? You go first. Okay. As a refresher, uh, we're ranking the villain's deaths uh, out of me- the melodramaticness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, five out of five Jeremy's being the most dramatic. Zero out of five being the least dramatic. I would say this was a heavily crafted um like special oh. or practical effect uh-huh. actually it looked like more practical effect death so i would say i'll give it a f- four out of five jeremy's for melodrama but mm-hmm. it was very quick yeah which is why it doesn't get five four out of five also those dream sequences incredibly melodramatic true I will give it a 4 out of 5 because the general mood that they were going for was frightening and scary, and the idea of dying by implosion in your sleep is, like, awful. But the actual moment of his death, he just kind of goes, what? In his bed, and then it's over. Mm, And I think that that was kind of anticlimactic. But because of all the things surrounding it and the way that I envision it in my head and the way that imagination plays a big factor into how you see him dying, um, 4 out of 5. All right. Sounds good. Um... So thank you so much for listening once again. This was our fifth episode. Wow. Quah. Um, and yeah, uh, you can find us at Charmed Spellcast on Instagram. You can email us at Charmed Spellcast, or not at, but Charmed Spellcast at gmail.com. Uh, leave a review. We might make you a jingle. And actually... We have three different things to give you today at the end of this episode. We have a jingle. (gasps) We have our very first jingle. So we have a jingle, we have some spoken word from Bryce, and we also have the song. So stick around. I'm Shayna, you can find me at Shayna Macy. I'm Bryce, you can find me at nood.js or at finishedfoodstagram, all one word. Okay, thanks so much. See ya. Bye. Liana is the coolest person She left us a great review I'd like to return the favor And recommend her to you I've been sleepless in San Francisco, Nora Ephron makes love truer. Please, you're mixing up your movies, man, you're just a knockoff Freddy Krueger. I got a queen-size mattress so that I can get some magical sleep, but this bed was meant for only me, not a misogynistic creep. 
Like a demonic sugar plum fairy, you come along prancing in our dreams. I think this dancing's getting dangerous high above these building's beams. You think this is some lullaby. I think that you're insane. You think that no one understands you inside your teeny tiny little brain. Like you're the exception. This ain't inception. There are no layers, no Leo. It's not that deep, we said. The only digits you get is for your sleep number bed. Anyway, Brooklinen. Casper mattresses. Need an ad read? Media Production. Earbud Media. Audio for everyone.